You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, and our production assistant, Daniel Tersini, we would like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good morning, Kathy. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Good. This is our last show before we head into our cycle of summer holidays. Yes, it's, uh, we'll make it, we'll make it uh, the best. We'll make it always. the best. The best before the summer holidays. Yes. Fine. The weather's finally <laughs> turning nice, so hopefully... It is. Um, Canada Day's coming up shortly. Looking forward yeah, to that. it is. You know, it seems that the summer, it, it takes so long to get here, and then all of a sudden you start planning the weeks and the holidays, and they come and they go, and you're, we're, you know, through it already, so... Shh, don't say that too loud. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Um, you're away for a, a couple of weeks, Alex? So uh, yes, I'm heading to Spain. In fact, my, my oh. sister's getting married, so we're... we're well, really? they're getting married in Spain, so... Congratulations. Congratulations, very Thank nice. Thank you, I'm looking forward to extending the family, yes. Oh, having, beautiful. Having a, uh, having a brother, per oh, se. Oh, very nice, so. very nice. I've, um, is he Spanish, or is it just no, a destination he's, he's, wedding? It's, uh, you can say destination wedding. My, my sister and his, her fiancé met in Vancouver, and uh, they both found work in the UK. And so his family is actually from Ireland, and so... We're we're ending up meeting all in Spain, and we're going to be celebrating that. I don't know if geographically that's middle point, but it certainly no. sounds like a beautiful well, place it, it, to it to land. It definitely does. Exactly. Never so, been. Looking no. forward to looking forward to it, but neither neither have I. Oh, beautiful! I hope you have a great time, and congratulations very much to uh, your sister and your future brother in law. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. Today's show is live. Our number is 416-245-1534. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at the Health Hub RMC. We put up lots of very interesting tips and tidbits and uh, things other than just uh, the the wonderful shows that we have upcoming. So do follow us there. Uh, You will see our July lineup coming to you uh, probably within the next week or so before our next show. So, So Keep an eye out and uh, set your stations for the great uh, the great shows that are coming up. And of course, all of our shows are turned over into a podcast format. And uh, you can subscribe subscribe to the podcast so that you know when all these when the new podcasts land. We are the Health Hub on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite uh, podcast platforms. And you can find all of our podcasts on the Radio Maria Canada website, which is radiomaria.ca, and on my website, which is kathybiasse.com. Our last week's show with Dr. Pimentel, which was extremely uh, well-received, is up and uh, running. Very informative show. It was on SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It was a new topic for some, but uh, Dr. Pimentel is foremost in um, this area of research. So very, very good podcast to listen to, especially over the summer months when you might have a bit of downtime. So, So do take a listen. And if you like what you hear, let us know. We do appreciate the feedback. So I wanted to talk to you guys about a new study that came out, very good for the summer and into the fall months. And it showed that spending at least two hours a week in nature seems to be the critical threshold for promoting health and well-being. Now, the reason that um, I like this subject, let me tell you a bit more about it first. I'll give you the background. The research was led by the University of Exeter, published in Scientific Reports, and it found that people who spend at least uh, 120 minutes, so math is right, that's two hours, in nature are significantly more likely to report good health and higher psychological well-being than those who do not visit nature or uh, get out to, you know, we can extend this to nature walks, parks, and so forth, but basically getting out of uh, the city and into nature. And it's something that um, 
sort of verified things that I, I tell uh, clients that I work with. Mm-hmm. Getting out and walking around um, is is beautiful and healthy for you. And it it um, it, it leads me to the topic of, of forest bathing. And uh, what forest bathing is, it's based on the Japanese practice of Shinrin-yoku. And I hope I didn't butcher that um, for anybody who speaks Japanese out there. But this basically translates into taking in the forest atmosphere. And I found this study uh, very, very interesting, is that it highlights things that I think intuitively a lot of us know, although the study puts a time frame on it. So the study says two hours is sort of the the, the critical mass level. But um, forest bathing is a long-time practice, and it's certainly easy in in really what you're doing, um, but it, the benefits reaped are substantial. So forest bathing simply involves taking contemplative, mindful walks throughout the woods to help you connect with nature, leave the hustle and bustle of your life behind, unplug you from your phone, your computer, and just relax. And just be, right? It's so important. Just be. Um, again, we always like to have science verify what I think intuitively we know, but you take your time on these walks. And, and the, the idea is almost like a meditative walk where you're trying to heighten your senses, smell, sight, sounds, listening to the birds, watching things that are happening, flying. And what you do is you just meld into this environment. So taking in nature with our senses has been shown to decrease stress, improve your immunity, and just increase your overall sense of well-being. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of times just going for a walk without trees around, I mean, it's not as beneficial, but just going out for a walk to clear your mind. My husband likes to run. Just just the fresh air is a a starting point, right? It really is. And and that's sort of what I wanted to impose upon you. Um, You know, walking first thing in the morning, they say, is very good for for your cortisol level, getting the sun in. Uh, Interesting that they have found that um, studies have shown that the natural chemicals... um, exuded, excreted by evergreens are called phytoncides, phytoncides. They have been associated with improvements in our immune system. So very popular, very easy to do, but because it is becoming so popular, there are actually certified forest therapy guides and they're popping up all over. So you can go on to the website. There is for here in Ontario, I think there's actually a training course in Albion, Albion Hills, but, um, very interesting, and especially this time of year when it's so nice to get out. But, you know, don't exclude the winter months either. You know, the winter months are beautiful to be outside and walking around, so breathing in the fresh air. So just a little bit of something as we sign off for, uh, you know, pretty much a month here. <clears throat> and, um, you know, get out in nature, enjoy the summertime, and, uh, you know, reap all the healthful benefits of it. So today's show, we were talking about um, strategies to protect our brain as we age, and uh, we have our guest is Kelly Dorfman. Kelly Dorfman is one of the world's foremost experts on using nutrition therapeutically to improve brain function, energy, and mood. She works collaboratively with medical professionals to help people develop creative strategies to address complex ailments and symptoms. After identifying core issues, she employs tried-and-true strategies grounded in research to attain the best results over time. One of Kelly's special interests is children. Her award-winning book, Cure Your Child with Food, The Hidden Connection Between Nutrition and Childhood Ailments, was reissued by Workman Press in June 2013. Kelly holds a master's degree in nutrition biology and is a licensed nutrition dietitian. She resides with her husband in Virginia, and they are parents of three grown children. Our learning points today will be, uh, among many, of course, are how our brain does change physiologically as we age, how nutrition can help us protect our brain, and some optimal brain foods to uh, start us off on our pathway to, to brain health. And we will be back in a few minutes. Schooled in Manhattan 
reads dusty books and learns phrases in Latin. She is an author, or maybe a poet, a genius, but it's just this world doesn't know it. She works on a novel most every day. If you laugh, she will say. Left his six-figure job for a mission position. His healing was sick in an African clinic. He works in the dirt and writes on to the cynics. He says we work through the night, so most every day as we watch the sunrise, we can. Seize the day, seize whatever you can. Cause life slips away just like hourglasses. Seize the day, pray for grace from God's hand. And nothing will stand in your way. Seize the day. as bitter and cold as the whiskey he's drinking. He's talking about fear, about chances not taken. If you listen to him, you can hear his heart breaking. He says one day you're buying, next day you're dead. I wish way back when someone had said You can do what you will with the days you are given. I'm trying to spend mine on the business of living. So I'm singing my songs off of any old stage. You can laugh if you want, I'll still say. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show today is live, so feel free to call in. Our number is 416-245-1534. And again, you can submit questions best right now on Twitter. We are at The Health Hub RMC. But you can also um, hit us up on our Instagram site, which is at The Health Hub RMC as well. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Very interesting topic, a very um, deep and very um, 
convoluted topic when we're discussing the brain. What got you interested in this subject? Well, um, I have a long checkered past in my family with odd brain issues. Um, My father had a brain tumor when he was um, in his 20s, and he went blind, actually, uh, from the tumor when they had to remove it. Back in those days, they weren't very careful, or they didn't have the techniques they had today for uh, taking those things out, and so that was a problem. So I grew up with a blind father and um, who had a lot of issues with uh, brain aging because of the scar tissue left over from this early surgery that was very experimental. And then um, my mother had brain cancer, and my stepfather had a brain aneurysm, Mm -hmm. and it led people in my family to say, gee, was there something in the water where you grew up? And, of course, um, I've dealt with a lot of kids with developmental problems in my practice and with... uh, learning problems and mood issues, and so the brain just naturally became something that I had a lot of interest in. Excellent. You know, all all these things seem to start, our interests seem to stem, don't they, from personal experiences? Absolutely. It gives you a lot of skin in the game. It it does, and it really vests you in in trying to do and find out more and better and keep pushing you, so it's wonderful. We're talking about the brain. We've had, um, you know, we've touched on it in many and different ways uh, here on the Health Hub One thing we haven't really done is taken um, a look at the generalized anatomy of the brain. And I think as we're going into our show today, Kelly, and we're going to be talking about food and the different types of food and perhaps fats and carbs, it might be a a good starting place here to get a a general idea of the anatomy that we're we're talking about when we're dealing with the brain. Can you explain that to us? Well, from... Boy, that's a long subject that could take up all this time. And just many, just many general. <laughs> so, so I think what I would talk about that's most relevant from a nutritional point of view is that the brain is 60 to 70% fat. So structurally, the brain is fat. I mean, uh, f- uh, that's why people call people fat heads, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're full of uh, fat and cholesterol in the brain. And so fat becomes a structural nutrient for the brain. And the kind of fat that you eat is going to turn into the kind of fat that's in your brain. So you can't just switch it around. I mean, you put it in, the brick you put in is the brick that gets put in. And we also know from uh, looking around and from all kinds of research that function follows structure. So depending on the kind of fats you're eating, they will be incorporated into your brain the way a brick would be incorporated into a wall. And, um, of course, if you're eating really bad fats, it might be more like incorporating mud or straw into a wall. And it will change the way you send signals because the brain is made up of uh, the simplest cells in the brain are called neurons. And these are complex structures that connect with each other. And one neuron in a part of the brain that's not too busy can have 10,000 connectors. And in a part of the brain that's very busy could have 100,000 connectors. And so it's a complex web of, of uh, networking, and it, the kind of fat uh, that makes up these neurons will change the way they send signals. So literally, you will change how you send signals, you will change how fast they go, you will change how they're received, you will change everything about how your brain operates. And that's just looking at one nutrient. It is just looking at one nutrient. I definitely want to come back to talk about fats because, again, we talk about fats, we talk about cholesterol that you mentioned there briefly, and it still kind of makes people sit up straight. So I definitely want to hone in on that in a little bit. But I want to talk about, you know, in a general sense, how does our brain age as we, you know, as we go through life? Can we stop our brain from aging or are we just... We are just trying to live with it as we age and give it as much support as possible. Well, we can't stop aging. That's something, although goodness knows scientists are trying to, but we can manage it better because if you look at two people that are 70 or two people that are 80, they can be functioning at a very different level. And that is what you're trying to be. Uh, half the people, by the time they reach age 80, for example, will have some level of cognitive impairment that is noticeable or measurable. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so if you make it, you know, God willing that you make it to 80, you want to be one of the people whose brain came along with them and is functioning at a better level. And we do know there's quite a bit you can do for that. In fact, 
in the United States uh, just a couple of years ago, they started the first Alzheimer's prevention clinic in New York at Wild Cornell. And it's become so popular, you can't even get an appointment there because so many people want to prevent Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's disease is the scariest disease that we know. It scares people more than cancer does. And so uh, there are, and they have already discovered in just a few years they've been operating, I think it's been since 2013 or so, that you can absolutely slow down and prevent, um, to some extent, uh, memory problems and deterioration associated generally with aging. When we're talking about the aging process within the brain, are we physiologically, are we talking about hardening of connections? Are we talking about plasticity uh, decreasing? What, what is going on? We're talking about all of those things, of course, depending on what the condition is that you're looking at. But we know that dementia, and uh, there are different kinds of dementias also, that are, uh, for example, Alzheimer's disease is associated with, with the accumulation of certain kind of bizarre proteins called tau proteins. But there are, are Parkinson's dementias. There are vascular dementias. Uh, there is the very famous Lewy body dementia that affected Robin Williams. Uh, so there are different types of brain changes that can lead to uh, issues, but the factor that connects them all at this point, as far as we know, is inflammation. We know that uh, there's an inflammatory process uh, that is involved, and we also know that sugar imbalances can affect uh, brain function. In fact, they're now calling dementia type 3 diabetes. Yes, we have heard that, actually. Well, then, uh, okay, I want to talk about the blood-brain barrier. But before that, then, so as we're aging, describe to me what you would think is optimal brain health as we're aging. Give us the picture. So what you'd want is you want your brain to be flexible, right? You want your brain to have complex processes that are go on. And, and you also, we know from research, we want to have some amount of speed of processing. One of the things that happens with aging that really defines aging, in fact, at the Science Museum in Portland, Oregon, uh, they have a little, quote, test you can take to see how, how old your brain is compared to your chronological age. And it's basically whack-a-mole. How fast can you play whack-a-mole? It, those tests are scary. I uh, I got onto one site. It's called Brain HQ, and I got onto that because um, actually, I believe it's. I, I, I'll go back and double check my facts, but that is the site that I think um, one of the cancer research facilities felt was very good for women who had uh, brain fog after chemotherapy. So I jumped on that site and, and, you know, to hit the button to start taking the test, you think, ah, how am I going to do? They're a little bit scary when you're, when you're right. actually pushing the button going. But so do all the, the you know, people have, have written about doing crossword puzzles, uh, going different way home. Are all these things, lifestyle thing, before we even get into nutrition, are all these lifestyle things that you can include um, into your daily routine an important part of brain health? Uh, they are, but the three things I think we have the most research about, uh, that doesn't mean that they're the only important things, but the things that we're the most sure about are diet, exercise. You were just talking about being outside. You, you can't beat exercise. Mm-hmm. Social connection. There's enormous amounts of research about social connection. In fact, poor social connections are associated with worse health outcomes than smoking and bad diet and no exercise. And why is that? Well, we don't know exactly why that is, but it's, it's a, a sta- the, one of the longest studies that's ever been done that was started at Harvard in the 1930s and has been ongoing in some form and expanded since then has just pointed out that what, uh, social connections are critically important uh, for uh, long-term health and well-being. Uh, so why I, I, we could speculate but we don't know but but they are important and that has been consistently found and so it's exercise um social connections uh, good diet and as far as crossword puzzles it's unclear because the research on that has been uh, there's been not consistent results with that like whether there's games you could play there was some research originally that found associations between people at higher educations and use their brains more and lower amounts of brain deterioration the theory was they were starting with more so they had more to lose but that has remained a fuzzy and uncertain 
And there's a lot of controversy about that. So I think you'd want to put your time and energy into social connections, exercise, and, and good diet. That's what we have the solid, the solid research on. Okay. Now, there's been um, research out recently about the blood-brain barrier and whether it's broachable. And, uh, you know, in your research, because you are on top of all of these things, how has the determination of the structure of the blood-brain barrier, what is allowed in and out, and maybe actually a just general description for people who don't know, how do you work with that in the the context of brain health? That's an excellent question. Uh, question, and of course, uh, this is all. This could change tomorrow, but from the best that I can see in clinical work with the blood-brain barrier, is that it's very similar to the gut barrier. And actually, I think prenatally is made from almost the same material. And so, a lot of times, people have leaky guts also end up having leaky brains. And you need your blood-brain barrier to let into the brain the things it needs, but you absolutely want to keep out infections and bacteria. Uh, The brain immune system is kind of rough, and you have a closed system in there. So if something gets in there and starts stirring things around, there's no place for it to go. I mean, you can't, if your brain swells, you're in trouble. Uh, It's it's a a big issue. If your arm swells, it's, it's not happy, but you can... It, it can swell and there's a place for it to go, but uh, your brain um, immune system can be very, very destructive. So your blood-brain barrier keeps some of those things out, and we're seeing increasing conditions such as pandas. Have you heard about that? Mm-hmm. Maybe you um, could tell everybody what that is. Uh, pediatric um, uh, you know, autoimmune or sometimes it's, uh, uh, neurological diseases associated with strep or the, uh, the uh, pediatric autoimmune uh, neurological uh, a disease that's not associated with strep is called PANS, which could be other uh, organisms that are crossing the blood-brain barrier. And we're finding that in some people, you, you know, instead of just getting a regular strep infection, the antibodies cross the blood-brain barrier where they shouldn't. They're leaking in, and they're causing all kinds of destruction, and uh, sometimes they will cause chronic OCD or sudden OCD uh, uh, conditions or repetitive conditions or mood changes that are very dramatic almost overnight. The, the and, research into yeah. the blood-brain barrier has been enlightening uh, recently. Also, um, there has been research out fairly recently. I mean, I don't follow this definitely like you follow this, but it was something new to me that there was an immune system that was actually found within the brain. Yes, the, the glial cells that we thought were sort of inert were actually kind of a quiet immune system, and you really don't want to activate them very much uh, because, like I said, they're like Pac-Man, and, and uh, it's the brain is a closed system. The neurons don't regenerate as easily as some of the other tissues do. You want to keep that glial system quiet. Do you find that the work that you've done more on the integrative health side, lifestyle, and especially nutrition therapy – is this perhaps what is causing more research into these areas, areas that we thought, you know, the blood-brain barrier was a sealed system, uh, the immune system is fairly, uh, the, the acknowledgement of the immune system is fairly new. Your, your food and nutrition therapy that is impacting the brain, do you think that this can be part and parcel of why research is now expanding into possible functions of the brain that we previously didn't think were in existence? Well, I, I think, unfortunately, what's driving it is that we have such a big problem with it. The number of people that are affected by dementias and brain aging issues, and, of course, with the baby boom generation hitting those age points now, it's, it's a tremendous burden to society at so many different levels, and I think that's driving it. We literally have nothing. Once people have dementia... One of the reasons they're so scared about it is what is offered in terms of treatment is minimal. It's mostly helping them to survive a bad situation. Uh, the, the drugs have failed terribly. Uh, they've tried drug after drug, and um, part of the problem is that most dementias are the result of 30 or 40 years of problems that have been marching along and then tip into so it's not like you're going in and you're fixing up an acute problem this is the end of the stream of a long stream mm-hmm. that's been going for a long time and at that point uh, they've been very unsuccessful coming up with anything 
I think uh, what you mentioned a little bit ago seems to be the issue with most chronic diseases, and that's inflammation. And that's right. a topic that's come up so much uh, within our show. What I want to do when we get back from break is, is sort of delve deeper into that and, and really show how your nutrition therapies, your therapeutic application of nutrition can go into quelling this and really improving our overall brain function. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are speaking with Kelly Dorfman, and we're talking about how to protect our brain as we age. Kelly, for those of us who truly believe in the power of nutrition, I want to start out the second half uh, by having you explain how therapeutic nutrition is achieving uh, the health outcomes that we're desiring. Okay, that's an excellent question. And basically it works in one of two ways. You're either taking away 
something that's potentially irritating the system and, and causing it to have difficulty healing or increasing inflammation. We know there are messenger molecules that you can generate that are non-allergic, so you can eat something and you can feel fuzzy-headed or you can feel depressed or you can uh, feel sluggish. And uh, this is because uh, these molecules are released by the immune system. It can cause inflammation, but the re, um, receptor sites could be in the nervous system, so the nervous system could also be receiving the signal. So instead of having red eyes or having a hive, you can just feel bad. And so we remove things that can potentially be uh, irritants, and that can be tough because there's a lot of extra things that are added to food these days. And then the second way is um, by using a therapeutic nutrients to close the gap between what you need and what you're able to eat. And sometimes it's because the amount you need is more than you can ever get in a reasonable diet. And sometimes it's because they're missing because of malabsorption or because of medications or because of some a higher need that you might have. So those are the two ways that we work with therapeutic nutrition. So we're either dealer, you're either dealing with uh, general health, uh, brain health, or you're taking specific conditions and working therapeutically with the conditions and deficiencies that might arise from that, two different avenues? Yeah, well, yes, you can, uh, people sometimes come in, and uh, I just had somebody come in last week, and they said that her mother had Alzheimer's disease, and she just wanted to make sure that she wasn't lined up for that, and so she wanted to do everything possible, and that's always nice to prevent. And then there's other people that already have a diagnosis, and we're trying to, to uh, ameliorate some of the symptoms with that or slow the progression in some cases if it's one of the dementias. When we're talking about, um, you know, if someone wants to move forward today with actionable steps about how to uh, create optimal brain health, without having the worry at this point of, of a disease or a history within the family. Are you specifically talking about three separate areas? So the blood-brain barrier, the interworkings of the actual brain, and then this whole area of the gut-brain connection. Are they all, uh, do you work with them all together or do you, um, do you apply different nutrients to each of those three areas? Well, you do a little bit of both. I mean, uh, first of all, you look at the person's situation, Almost nobody comes in without anything going on. Somebody has a history of allergies or they have eczema or they have a long history of tummy problems or something. So you start with what is part of their history so you know where to focus because otherwise you'd be doing too many things. It's like going to the physical therapist and have them working on your whole body. While that's a great thing to do, most of the times you have to do some targeting, and that's what we call a targeted nutrition therapy. And although all of those areas are related in most people, one area is more of a problem than another, and you put your eyes on that uh, uh, in most cases. Well, so you don't. So we're not talking about. We've seen a lot in the news about the, the gut-brain connection. Do you defer to the gut first, or do you actually sit down with somebody and pick the area that you want to work with? Well, I it, the way I do it is I usually I uh, look at the history and individualize it. The gut is always important, but for some people, their guts are in pretty good shape, and so that's not the place that you have to put most of your attention. Uh, in other people, the gut has such a, a problem that it's highly, as we mentioned before, related very often to the blood-brain problem, and then we'll focus most of our attention on that. And the gut is a big problem in many, many people. Uh, because of increasing problems in our food supply, we have a lot of issues right now with glyphosate, which is uh, an, uh, an herbicide that's widely used that is sold under the name Roundup, is increasingly showing up in our grains. Uh, most of the wheat in the United States is processed with it now. Uh, it's found in almost all oats. They just did a study where they tested most box cereals, and they were all loaded with it. It's found in corn. And what this does is that it starts killing all the bacteria in your gut. And the bacteria in your gut is a lot of your immune system. So it's going to change your uh, allergies so you're more reactive. It, it changes your, your digestion so you're gassier and you're not absorbing as well. And so there's, there's a lot of factors to consider. What um, would you consider to be optimal brain food? Just if someone said to you, I want to start eating for my healthy brain tomorrow, give me a grocery list. What would you have on that list? Oh, well, 
an interesting question. Well, I would probably defer to the something called the MIND diet, M-I-N-D, and this diet has been designed and everything on the diet has been proven and researched to help the brain. And so some of the highlights, so if you want to like a quick one, two, three thing to do, it would be um, uh, berries was the one fruit they found uh, was brain enhancing. There's a substance in blueberries called proanthocyanidin that's been found to help the hippocampus with memory. And they did studies where they gave a cup of blueberries a day to people that were in um, uh, older uh, adult communities and found that that was very useful for memory. So I would say berries, especially blueberries, but any berries, uh, nuts, um, an ounce of nuts, if you're not allergic to them a day, has also been found uh, to be useful. I would say fish, almost anything that is found in fish helps your brain. Uh, because of the mercury problem with fish, you can't eat too much fish, and ironically, it's safer to take fish oil because it's been distilled than it is to eat fish, but there's choline and the long-chain fats in fish that are very good for brain function, so fish would be part of that diet at least a few times a week. And um, I said fish, oh, and green vegetables, one a dark green vegetable a day. So an ounce of nuts, a dark green vegetable a day, a cup of berries, and fish a couple times a week. Are, are some of the foundational points of an anti-inflammation pro-brain enhancing diet. And a- anti-inflammation is, is the key there because those are, are um, you know, foods that many would, that are in therapeutic nutrition would, would sort of suggest for other diseases as well. So this broaches on on all aspects of inflammatory health. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that these foods are so, so key to, to quell inflammation. But the one thing that is missing, and I want you to, you know, to address this is carbohydrates. Now I know that there are carbohydrates found within the leafy vegetables and, and basically within all whole foods, but do you recommend a low carb diet for optimal brain health? Not necessarily. Uh, The problem I think really with carbohydrates is that we tend to use fast carb, uh, burning carbohydrates like white, highly refined grains like white flour versus uh, brown rice or millet or whole grains. And then the problem I mentioned earlier with Roundup contamination, so I really like organic grains to make sure that they are not laced with glyphosate. I think that when you go to the bookstore now and you look for diets, they're all, they tend to be, about half of them are anti-grain in some way. We have 8 billion people almost on the planet now. We can't afford to feed all those people without grains. Grains are the staff of life. They are not unhealthy in themselves. But highly refined and processed with these other chemicals is a completely different story. So I think that most anti-inflammation diets do include whole grains, and again, I'd say organic, and that can be done. However, if you are pre-diabetic or diabetic and need to lose weight, one of the worst things you can do for inflammation is be overweight, which is why this obesity problem has become such an issue. Uh, Overeating of anything, whether even if it's the most healthy food, to the point of gaining excess weight is probably the most pro-inflammatory thing you can do. I think that this is such a refreshing train of thought. And the more people that I get out there and interview, especially within the nutrition field, five years ago, it was all about the keto and all about cutting carbs. And, you know, in my humble opinion, you want all the macronutrients. And I think that, explain to us, does the brain not use carbohydrates as its easiest, as does the rest of the body, but the brain especially uses carbohydrates um, a lot for its functioning. Well, I mean, the brain is 2 or 3% of your mass, but it takes like 25% of your energy. So if you cut your carbs, I mean, it loves ketones, which are breakdown products from fats that you get when you are in a, when you don't have any carbs left. And it likes that, but that's not what it should be eating all the time, uh, unless you have an epilepsy problem that's not responsive to medicine and you're, and you're trying to uh, be on ketones all the time for a therapeutic reason, uh, being in ketosis constantly is, is probably not in your best interest. Carbohydrates are not bad, but again, well, the kind of carbohydrates we have are a lot of junky carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. There's wonderful carbohydrates out there, beans and whole grains. They're absolutely vegetables, of course. They're absolutely part of an anti-inflammation diet. 
I'm so glad that that you speak in these terms because I feel that fat was vilified and now it's it's uh, on a pedestal. Now carbohydrates are being vilified, and I think if we look back over history. Uh, we're, we're seeing the same mistakes being made over and over again. So the fact that um, a nutritionist, a dietitian, uh, as renowned as yourself, is not vilifying carbohydrates, I find this uh, a very refreshing thing. Um, so I, I personally applaud that. I thank you very much for that. <laughs> but well, uh, thank you. I mean, I think that what Kathy, what we really have been t- not, we've been loath to talk about, which is the real problem, is the quality. It's not, carbohydrates aren't bad, fats aren't bad, but there are really bad fats out there, and there are really bad carbohydrates Mm -hmm. out there. Uh, I think that we should be looking much more at simple, high-quality food, and much less at nitpicking, you know, you you should be getting rid of all your grains, you should be getting rid of all this and all that. I mean, there are definitely cases where that may be necessary. But we have to really take on the quality of our food. We're looking at quantity. We're looking at, you know, high production yield. But we have really been falling down um, in quality. 100%. And I read an article recently about how food and preparation of food is becoming uh, a nuisance for people. And, you know, this is sad for me because... You know, you don't have to have a meal that takes you two hours to prepare, but you do need some time in the kitchen. And the fact that people now are are going to energy bars and energy drinks and looking for the, the quick way so they can sit at their desk and do things without worrying about food, this to me is is disarming and alarming. And I don't know if you are in contact with people that are like this, but this is also an area of nutrition that is becoming harder and harder to, to, to break the barrier of. Well, that's, I know in the IT community here, they have this goo that people just live on. It's like a nutritional goo that they just drink or eat all day so they don't have to bother chewing up their food and leaving their desk. And I, that's a trend that I think will pass because and we are sensory beings. We like and can enjoy food, that's the way that we're doing that is kind of the way you were talking before of how we're getting away from nature, too. Yes, you can live in a city and never put your feet on the ground, but in the long run, there's something that's missing, and I think that people will drift back to it because along with the, the kind of goo movement is the, uh, the foodie movement where people are interested in, in obscure vegetables and, and uh, growing uh, herbs they haven't heard of. And, and uh, so I think that both of these things are running parallel. I read another article actually that was talking about the two worlds of food. So on one hand, you have the, the bar goo world, and on the other hand, you have people that are spending lots of time going to a farmer's market and finding obscure things and chopping them up and, and finding uh, ways to incorporate them into the diet. Do you Okay, within these two articles, did they give the age? Because I find the younger people are becoming a little bit more interested in their health because they are watching us as a generation, uh, get sicker and sicker. So I've found that sometimes that the the younger people seem to be pulling back a bit and and trying to be a little bit more mindful. It's it's kind of mixed up because there's also a lot of financial pressure. So what I've seen mostly is it depends on what your finances are because, quite frankly, if you're working two jobs, you can't really afford to be spending two hours, you know, at the farmer's market on Saturday uh, picking out the, the, the most obscure jackfruit or whatever. So I think that um, it, p- part of this has is, is really been finances mm-hmm. uh, for people. It, we have two kinds of food worlds. We have, uh, we have a lot of places in the United States where you can't even get healthy food easily. They call them food deserts. Oh. And so you're sort of stuck with these bars and other things. And uh, so I... It's, it's become very kind of complicated, as you said earlier in the show. I love, uh, this is a little off topic, but I love these trends of, of the, uh, the indoor gardens and the tower gardens and, and you, know, uh, you know, promoting growing at least your own herbs. I think it's a great, a great way to go, uh, and it, it can be affordable. We're getting uh, close to the end of the show, and I have had a few questions. Some I've worked into the show. Um, this one may prove to be a little bit more, uh, take a little bit more of our time. Would you mind if I asked you a few questions? That um, our audiences. Um, how much do our genes dictate our health? Uh, the APOE4 allele of the APO gene is in our family. Well, that's a, that's a really important question, and it turns out that that gene does not regulate very much of your chances of getting 
uh, Alzheimer's disease, although that's the one gene that's been identified with it, unless, and this is a big unless, your diet is poor and your environment is poor, then it's much worse. So if you take that gene with a poor diet and a poor environment, you have a much higher chance of getting Alzheimer's. But with um, an anti-inflammation diet and a a more controlled uh, lifestyle, it doesn't seem to turn that gene on. So it won't increase your risk unless you have a poor diet uh, and a lot of inflammation, and then it's going to increase your risk. That's what the research seems to be suggesting. Okay, uh, another question is, is brain degeneration reversible? Well, it depends on what it is. Um, I have seen it uh, stay, at worst, steady, so that it doesn't increase further, so it kind of stays where it is for long periods of time, sometimes for decades. And um, other times it can be very tricky to deal with, depending on what the cause of that is. Uh, right now, I'm dealing with the case of a young man who has a brain atrophy, which is, is he's only in his 20s, so it's pretty devastating. And, um, but we think that it's from an infection. And so if, if that infection can, you might have heard of that book, Brain on Fire. So if the infection can be uh, treated successfully, then there's a chance that he can regenerate if we can stop his brain from um, you know, actively uh, feeding into this process. But it, there, if you look it up online and just look up brain atrophy or, or brain deterioration, they'll say, no, there's nothing you can do. But I have found in practice you can absolutely slow it down, and sometimes you can actually turn it around. Okay. Um, I'd like to give everybody your contact, or maybe you can give us your contact information. It's such an interesting topic and so on point uh, right now for what many people are going through. If people want to find out more about you, what you do, where can they go to find that? They can go to my website, Kelly Dorfman, and that's D-O-R, like Roger, F, like fire, M-A-N dot com, www.kellydorfman.com. They can also write to me at office at kellydorfman.com. Great. Thank you so much. It's been a very interesting topic, Kelly. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and our pathways that it took. Um, We got out a lot of information. I hope everybody enjoyed that show as well. Uh, As I mentioned uh, earlier, we will be going into our sort of holiday mode, and um, we've got uh, four shows lined up for you. You will be five shows lined up for you. July is five Tuesday month, and you'll be seeing those. Uh, One is live at the end of the month, and the other ones are uh, recorded. So, Kelly, thank you once again for joining us. Thank you for having taking the time to be on our show and everybody next week we will talk to you on the health hub Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.